The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening tonight, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen. Glad to join you on another Monday here in Tallahassee. As we look forward to a huge revenge game this coming Saturday at Dote Campbell Stadium, as Florida State hosts UMass coming off a of bye week, coming off of two previous wins for the Florida State football program, and looking to build off of that streak itself. We will share our thoughts on that game and so much more from the last weekend in sports and the weekend to come. But first, as always, joining me in the co-host chair is my good friend, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Doing great, doing great. Yeah, I, I can't believe that UMass is the rivalry game that FSU is looking forward to this homecoming <laughs> week, but that's that's where we're at. And uh, yeah, it was a good weekend. Uh, it was an FSU football-free weekend for the first time in two months, at least, I think. So it was definitely different, and uh, Barcelona filled my spot for the Saints and the FSU football slot of sports for me, and uh, they pulled through with a 3-1 win. So I'm excited to see them in the Champions League this week, and be- this week because they are in a do-or-die moment right now. They're last in the group so they gotta they gotta come clutch right now because if not then this might be the first season that Barcelona doesn't escape the the group stages of the Champions League since 2001 I think which Mm. would be absolutely insane yeah trying to rebound after a pretty significant loss on their roster I'd say pretty pretty uh, under the radar move Barcelona (laughs) moving on from a certain soccer player there but Gabe really quick I want to touch on this because I thought it was funny you know that we're in sync as co-hosts here when we come into the station and we both ask what our each other's weekends were you try to you know fill the hole of FSU with with uh, with Barcelona, but at the same time we both took a beach weekend on, yeah. on FSU's bye week. I went to Alligator Point. You went to Shell Shell Point. Shell Point, yeah. Shell Point. Well, I, I am certainly uh, still hurting from the sunburn that I got over the weekend there. Uh, but good to have you in my co-host chair as always. Yes, sir. And Gabe, this is awesome. We are bringing on two new panelists to the show, making their debuts tonight. Uh, as We'll start with you, uh, Kylie Brennan. Kylie Brennan, uh, new to V89, only a couple of weeks in, I want to say, uh, and she is making her Tomahawk Talk debut tonight. Kylie, how you doing? I'm doing swell, I have to say. <laughs> and I know you come in to this show from the perspective, uh, you're a Jags fan. That's that's kind of your calling card there. Uh, what do you think of, of the Jags getting their first one over in London this weekend? Well, Luke, I have to say this is my first Victory Monday since September 14th of 2020, and <laughs> I got to inform you that I celebrated like it was the Super Bowl, so had to watch part of that game in church via Bleacher Report, so sorry, <laughs> Pastor Jordan, if you're listening, but I mean, no, I'm pun intended, right place, right time, with Matthew right there with the kick there at the end. There you go, as always. And, and, you know, finally, finally you can stop having to watch that Gardner Minshew video every Sunday as, as he says, you know, this is the expectation or what, whatever he said, and then they, oh, he's, they're not satisfied, right? I think that's what Gardner Minshew said. Absolutely. And then they go on and lose from there on out. But Urban Meyer and the Fighting Jaguars, they, they get their first win of the season against uh, the Dolphins. And that brings me to my next 
new panelist here, Amanda Golson, uh, joining us for her first time on Tomahawk Talk. Now, you're a Dolphins fan, and the Jags just beat the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins are in a tough place right now, Amanda. Yeah, the tension here between Kylie and I is a little, you know, it's a little <laughs> high right now. But um, I'm happy to say that I did sleep in and I missed the 9 a.m. kickoff <laughs> because, you know, I just don't, I can't even imagine watching that game live just, it was unbelievable yeah. reading about it. C- certainly a dark place for, for Miami fans right now. But on the flip side, I know you also attended Florida State's uh, exhibition baseball game uh, in a way better spot than the Dolphins. Tell us about that. Yes, I um, this year I'm on the, the Batgirls roster this year, so it's really go. exciting. I worked at the Jacksonville game, which was a 14-inning game. So 2 o'clock, you know, Florida heat. Uh, it's not great. Not optimal. You know, we won. It was 14-8. to eight. Um, it was a it was a good game, you know. Everyone got reps. It was long, so we could see who who we've got on the roster this year, and it was really exciting to see um, the talent we have this year. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the season and being able to you know be on the team in a different way. So it's exciting this year. I'm yeah. excited. Well, certainly excited for for you to do that with with FSU's baseball team and the Batgirls going forward. And we're excited to have you on Tomahawk Talk for the first time. And, and uh, just a huge congratulations to you and Kylie for making your debuts tonight. Uh, always appreciative of that and then as always shout out to scott sebastian working the ones and twos back in the prod booth to make sure that we sound our best even when we don't deserve to uh here on tomahawk talk but let's jump right into it we you know we had a week to kind of uh, escape the the situation here at florida state which is an improving situation in fact with with mike norvell's group uh as florida state comes off of their bye week two and four although winners of two straight and are now 30-point favorites this weekend against UMass, who comes in this game, Gabe, 1-5 on the season. Of course, Florida State narrowly escaping Syracuse in a game-winning field goal uh, situation and then going on the road in probably the most uh, solid and all-around effort that you could say that Florida State has put up uh, during Mike Norvell's tenure here, uh, a 34-24 win in Chapel Hill uh, to get their second win of the year. And then they go into the bye week where they have a chance to get healthy. They have a chance, and, and Mike Norvell, I, I was I was reading and watching everything that he said during his press conference, and he made sure to emphasize the fact that they got around recruiting-wise this weekend. This was one of the first actual pauses that Mike Norvell could take uh, during his tenure to focus on getting around, getting his coaching staff around uh, to recruit, which is always, always a positive and something that Florida State uh, desperately needs to improve upon uh, during a season like this where on-the-field results might not matter as much. Um, but they come into this weekend as a 30-plus point. I, I forget what the line is right now, but they are heavy favorites, probably the heaviest they've been in a while. I think uh, it's 37. 37, something like that. I, and I forget the, the, the line that was on the Jacksonville State game, but I'm assuming this is higher oh, than that sure. one. Uh, so Florida State is pretty heavy favorites. Uh, and while the story surrounding this game is, of course, uh, the return of former offensive coordinator Walt Bell, uh, that's really semantics. It's not a hyperbole to say that this is one of the worst teams in college football, at, at least at, at, at the... Florida State? <laughs> no, no, Gabe. We're, we're, we're done self-loathing here. As Florida Sorry, State's I have to and, get it in there. But you, UMass, just a couple weeks ago, they were in a, a probably the battle of the century between them and UConn, seeing who could get their first win. Now, UConn has since gotten their, their first win of the season, so both of them have one on the season. But uh, Gabe... This is a game that Florida State should expect to win, and fans should probably expect them to 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 win by double digits at least. 
especially after the couple performances that we've seen from the offense the last couple weeks, and some by the defense. Uh, so I first, I want to get your opinion on on what you think Florida State is going to come out looking like after bye week where they could get healthy. So first of all, I want to touch on the the transfers because I believe Travis Hunter had that interview in ESPN uh, sometime yeah. last week, and yeah, I mean that's huge because obviously. Uh, I think it was either last week or the week before we talked about how he was going to Georgia and this and that and people were starting to panic and since he he came back on, on in public and he confirmed that he will be a Seminole in the next year so that was huge but yeah going into UMass this weekend homecoming weekend it's a must win game in some in some fashion <laughs> obviously we've talked about yeah. the fact that this season is not amounting to any wins and loss column portion highlighting. No, like Florida State is done with that. But at the same time, like as a fan, this is a must-win game because you, you've seen the improvement, you've seen the right steps for them, and, and now this is a winnable game. Not just a winnable game, but you're favored by over 30. Vegas isn't just making this lineup for no reason. So you know you're supposed to win this game, so it's time to do what you're supposed to. And last weekend was, I mean, the, the one with... The weekend prior. Yeah, yeah, the weekend prior. It was an unexpected win. This is an expected win. So expectations are building up. What is this team going to gonna show up when, when expectations are, are, are in their favor? But I, I do think that this team will win on Saturday, and we can probably get into predictions later on. But, but I mean, same, same that, that we saw against UNC. Just Travis really dominating the football and, and hopefully not making too many mistakes for, for FSU. If he can do that, the offense should, should cruise to a victory. And the defense, uh, I don't think this will be a game where they, they need to force turnovers, but if they do, that's where I think the blowout will come for FSU. Yeah, and, and you touched on Jordan Travis and, and his performance against UNC. I thought that was another key thing Mike Norvell talked about in his press conference today, the fact that he came out and said, personally, this is the healthiest that Jordan Travis has looked coming off of a football game that he had seen in a while. Uh, compounded with a, an extra bye week to get Travis all rested up. Uh, certainly, that's one of the things we're looking forward to uh, against UMass is seeing just that progression, uh, not only with Travis running the ball on broken plays like we've seen him make the last couple of weeks, but just getting more confident in running uh, the running scheme that they want to, to, to accomplish uh, against a team like UMass who shouldn't present as much of a problem as, as the past couple of teams have against Florida State and, and we've talked about how the UNC win seemed like a, a comfortable and, and not like a fluke it seemed like it was made out of something that they designed and they worked on so if, if you if FSU doesn't come out and do something similar not just in terms of what they what they try to do but what they actually end up executing on the field then it'll actually raise up questions of whether or not the UNC game was kind of like last year's fluke which I don't think is that's the last thing Mike Norville needs right now Right. And Amanda, I'll go to you for this. Um, you know, after a really strong performance about, like, after the first quarter of the UNC game and then kind of finishing off UNC there despite uh, a sort of a let-up in the fourth quarter there, um, you know, I I've mentioned on this show before that we are past the point of, of, of wins and losses and looking at that as the determinant of whether Mike Norvell is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish with this team. So... Uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend to seeing if you're fixated on anything against a team like UMass for Florida State uh, to sort of see how Mike Norvell's coaching is getting to these players and impacting them? I mean, simply said, I'm looking for this team to show up. You know, we've seen what they're capable of playing tough teams as well and playing down to their opponents. I mean, we were 
a 27-point favor over Jacksonville State, and, you know, we let it out of our hands. And I think if we play UMass as we're playing a one of the highest teams, let's say Georgia, you know, we there should be no reason we lose this game. I mean, I think this bye week has been crucial to get Jordan Travis back to 100% and really focusing on the health of the entire team. And I think with the homecoming game also, you know, we have a two-win – we're off a two-win streak. You know, the energy in Doak is going to be different this this weekend, and I'm excited to see how that's going to contribute to the overall intensity of this team. But, you know, I know we're past the wins and losses, but there's no room <laughs> to lose this game. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think a, a big thing – I liked what you touched on with expectations and the fact that coming off of the Jacksonville State loss – it was, you know, it was hard to, to imagine Florida State being any more than, than maybe like a 20-point a favorite. Like, we were actually having having to have the conversation about what Florida State's team was going to look like against UMass. That was the that was the point that we were at with Florida State there. Uh, and now, coming off of two wins, one's a, a close game against Syracuse, and then a little bit more impressive win against North Carolina. Now you're going into this game saying they're really after the the first couple of, of possessions maybe there really should be any doubt that Florida State should should come out of this game uh alive with a win uh, no matter what the score looks like uh Kylie I'll go to you though uh how tough is it to sort of get because we've seen Florida State drop games like this before with with Jacksonville State so when you look from the perspective of a player how tough is it uh trying to get ready to go up against an inferior opponent like UMass. And, and do you see Florida State uh, the last couple of weeks starting to change that mindset that they need to be ready out of the gates against teams? Honestly, being an athlete myself, like, you just, you prepare to the highest of your ability. You prepare to play, like Amanda said, you prepare to play a team like Georgia. There is absolutely no room to play down to the level of UMass this weekend. I mean, if anything, I hope that that $400,000 check written to Jacksonville State lives rent-free in the minds of FSU football. I mean, and as Jackson had said a few weeks prior, that was a must-win game. You know, I feel confident that Travis is the guy, and I think we'll only see him get better as his confidence grows with consistent playtime. You know, he had that interchangeable Mackenzie-Milton dynamic, and I think that really messed with his head there, but uh, I certainly feel like the hype surrounding the homecoming weekend will be a factor in morale, and plainly said, I hope the boys show out this weekend. Yeah, uh, you know, I think recruiting-wise, too, this is a big weekend uh, with, with homecoming coming up as well. But, Gabe, I don't I don't even think we need to do a pick segment here because I, I think <laughs> all, all of us are going to pick Florida State to win in some form or fashion. But I want to get your opinion on the remaining schedule. Mm. Past UMass, looking ahead a little bit. I hope Florida State isn't looking ahead, but... We can we can look ahead. We're not going out there playing UMass <laughs> this weekend. Um, and you look at the changing climate of, of the teams that are left on, on Florida State's schedule here. Uh, you look at teams like Clemson, uh, like Miami, like Florida, that are going through their own sort of struggles. Uh, how how would you assess the, the, the remaining schedule for Florida State uh, and the, the, the get-ability, I would say, of it, uh, the, the ability to maybe get a few games in there that you maybe wouldn't have thought a couple weeks ago? Uh, and how Florida State might fare down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week on the show. We started, or not we, FSU started 0-4, and, and now you're looking at maybe 3-4, and 4, and, and it doesn't look so bad. But then you get trips to, to Clemson and Florida and, you know, you Boston host, College, yeah. Yeah, and Boston College. <laughs> you can't forget about them. 
and you ask yourself, is this team going to go over four wins? And we talked about it last week, and I think most of us picked the under on four and a half wins. So that's why this is such a crucial week for Florida State. And, and yeah. you know, I, I, I hate to call it a must-win game, but it, it feels like it because if you don't win this week... Oh, no, no, no. no there, there's little to no doubt. If, if they go out and they struggle or they actually lose to UMass, which I, again... We need to be real here. I don't think is going to happen. Uh, then everything that you've built up the last couple of weeks completely goes off the rails yeah. with with a loss there. Like a Lego structure. I mean, it'll collapse on in, in uh, its entirety. Absolutely. If you thought if if <laughs> if you th- if you thought the, the the Jacksonville State loss was the worst could get, if, <laughs> if if they go out and lose to UMass and Walt Bell after after what they've tried to to build back that trust among the So, so let's say the they, they win, right? They, they get it done. So then y- you look at Miami. I think that's the one game that Florida State needs to like focus on because obviously it's a big rivalry game. But in terms of recruiting, come on. If Miami comes in and, and, they, and they beat you at home, as bad as they've also been, what does that, say, what does that tell recruiters and, and recruits out there? Like, What, what can Mike Novell say about that? I, I'm frankly... Speechless when it comes yeah, to that the, idea. the Miami game is tough because I don't I don't know where their coaching staff is at, at this point down in Miami and whether you know a winner or a Florida State. Let's say that Florida State and Miami go into that game with losing records. I don't know how much a win by either team is going to sway the other recruits. It might marginally, uh, but but that that's a conversation for another day uh, among Miami. But I think we're all in agreement here on the panel. Florida State should expectedly win this game. Yes. Eight and four. <laughs> yeah. Still wait, hopefully. Eight and four. Absolutely. All right. It sounds good there. But that leads me to some other big news that might concern Florida State among the recruiting trail there. Uh, and that was kind of the big story coming out of, of Sunday and really of the college football world uh, this last weekend, which is Ed Ordron, national championship winning coach of the LSU Tigers uh, in his fifth year now, is uh, officially out at the end of the season. Uh, LSU despite beating Florida this last weekend, 49-42, released a statement on Sunday uh, of, of, you know, perfect timing right up against the NFL games that kicked off at one. But they announced that Ed Ordron would complete his tasks and duties this season as the LSU head coach, and then the two would separate heading into the 2022 season. Uh, And it was kind of not a shocker because there were conversations being had uh, way earlier this year about Ed Ordron uh, potentially being uh, out of LSU, uh, but then coming off a win against Florida, uh, after which so many said that, the, that Ed Ordron might have saved his job, uh, he goes out and or he didn't go out. LSU goes out and, and makes this statement saying that he will not return. Uh, so, Gabe, I just want to get your thoughts, uh, an initial reaction to to hearing that Ed Ordron, one of only five coaches in college football that has a national championship under his belt, uh, is moving on from the place where he kind of made a name for himself. Yeah, I mean, last week on the show we had Luke Schefter, and, and he was kind of reporting on the fact that, uh, you know, they were having these conversations, and I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, after that, I, I, I kind of started to see the, the writing on the wall. But even even after the, the UF win, I was like, man, I, I kind of wish he, he could have come back and, and, and still kept it going. But I, I, see, I see why they did it, and it makes sense. It's just unfortunate because after that 2019 national championship win, I thought LSU was gonna, you know, be here for a little bit longer, and, and unfortunately, it hasn't been the the case. So, yeah, I mean, we we can talk a lot about if Ed was more of a product of the talent that he had on the team, and I think some people might agree with that. But 
the end of the day, he, he won them a national championship, and, and he'll always have a place in, in Louisiana. So, Absolutely. It, it, it seemed at the time in 2018-2019 like stretch of games with, with him and Joe Burrow there, it seemed like he was the perfect fit for LSU with his personality there. But then I, I thought, you know, after he after the statement came out yesterday from LSU, I thought there was a really good article written by The Athletic uh, detailing everything that went on under Coach O and sort of the, the off-the-field issues that kind of led to him being fired. And that's not even to mention the, the middling record outside of that 2019 season. Uh, but Amanda, I'll go to you. Looking back now, uh, knowing that Ed Ordron will not continue here at LSU, uh, what comes to mind when you think of that 2019 team that he was able to build there and just... Like how much of a unicorn that really was with all those things coming together, uh, despite the fact that Edo outside of that uh, has a, a middling career there. I mean, FSU knows probably better than any team that you know changing your coaches every year that's gonna deep like dig you deeper into a hole. And even after such a successful season, um, you know it's hard. You know we've been rebuilding for I don't you know I don't even know how long this it's been. It's I mean losing your coach even after having such a successful season, you know, it's you're still rebuilding um, with the loss of, you know, Joe Burrow moving on. It's, I mean, it's difficult, you know, when you have someone that leads your team like that, just, you know, he moves on. I mean, it's hard to rebuild, and, you know, we know it best. You can't just get rid of your coaches every year. It's not going to, it's not going to help yeah. that much. But, yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'm curious to see what happens to LSU next year. And if he goes to another team and can rebuild there or where he will continue. Yeah. Kyle, I want to get your opinion on that, you know, kind of looking looking back, focusing a little bit more on the, on the 2019 season. Does this change your opinion, whether you thought that, that Joe Burrow and Joe Brady were, like, solely responsible for, for LSU's success during that season? Or, or do you think there's definitely there was definitely a place for Coach O and, and his personality there uh, to impact LSU during that stretch? Yeah, I mean, any time that you have an extremely successful team, there's always going to be that fine line of how much of it was the head coach, how much of it was your lead quarterback. I mean, we saw that time and time again with Brady and Belichick, you know, for example. But, uh, I mean, I do think Joe Burrow was a large factor in that. Um, I mean, got to say it, like, I loved listening to Coach O's post-game interviews oh, and yeah. everything. <laughs> that, that's what that's what makes this so weird is that he was clearly just on top of the world after that 2019 season, uh, socially, culturally, especially down there in Louisiana, uh, just a, a, a cult figure of sorts with the way that he was able to endear himself. Uh, and it, it just wore thin, I think, with a lot of LSU officials there. Uh, Gabe, I'll go back to you about this, though. Are, are you at all worried that the LSU job is soured, or are they going to find a replacement pretty fast and easy to, to get them back to where they, they have been for most of the last century? I don't know. Jimbo might be uh, might be thinking about buying a, a ranch. He was, and... he, was, he was adamant today <laughs> because that's the name that everyone's going to jump to about this uh, is, is Jimbo Fisher. But he was adamant today that he – he would not be looking at that job whatsoever. I'll believe it when I see it, but mm. can you think of another name that might pop up for, for the LSU job? Not, not off the top of my head, but I, I do think it's going to be a popular one uh, over the spring. Uh, I mean, LSU is obviously in the SEC, so you're going to be recruiting a lot of great talent. So, and, you know, they're so fresh off that championship win, so, so there's still some sort of, I think, hype around that. Obviously, it's much different now, but... LSU is, uh, it's a brand, and I don't right. think anybody's going to 
glance over that. So I'm sure they'll get somebody. I don't think it'll be a, a brand like Jimbo, but maybe somebody more under the radar that, that's capable of, of stepping up into the big shoes of, of, of somebody like LSU and then making a name for himself. Right. I, I have no doubt LSU is, is right, and personally, is right behind the, the, the Alabama and the Ohio States of the world uh, in terms of, of the way it recruits itself and the type of program that it is now. But it'll be interesting to see uh, where they go if they if they hire maybe in, not internally because Orgeron's staff is on the way out. But it, if it's an under the radar move, if they look to the NFL, uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see. You got any theories? Other than 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 Jimbo, which seems to be the lazy take there, I do not know any which way they could go with this. Uh, I I do think there's a good possibility that they look towards the NFL, either them or they they might look at you know, Lane Kiffin maybe. <laughs> uh, speaking of Lane Kiffin, as we wrap up the first half of the show here, I wanted to touch on this because. Guys, in, th- in my opinion, this was the game of the weekend, the-, the by far most entertaining game that we saw, and it was bound to be entertaining because Lane Kiffin uh, taking his number 13-ranked Ole Miss team uh, into Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, for the first time as a head coach. Now, he had been back to Neyland Stadium with Alabama as a coordinator, but this was the first team that he had he had uh, been the head coach for returning to his old stomping grounds where he backstabbed and uh, According, you know, if you're talking to a Tennessee fan, he he uh, just left high and dry uh, for USC there. But they go into this game, Matt Corral a little banged up, and they end up pulling off a 31 to 23 uh, or 31-24 victory over Tennessee, uh, stealing a win from from Tennessee there. But the conversation about this game was was outside of the actual game. There was a bad, in my opinion, there was a bad call late in the game on a fourth down spot for Tennessee, and then. The crowd absolutely erupts. They start throwing garbage on the field. They start throwing golf balls at Lane Kiffin, one of which he kept uh, for a keepsake. There were mustard bottles being thrown. I'm assuming they just grabbed them from the concession stands there. <laughs> but I, I, I thought they only had the self-serve pump mustard ones. I don't, I don't know. I'm, that's besides the point. There was garbage thrown. They had a 25-minute delay there. Uh, so right before the half year, I, I wanted to ask you guys, starting with Amanda, like, have you... Uh, Obviously, there have been scenes like this before, but when when was the last time that you saw uh, fans so outraged that there there was garbage thrown on the field? I I just find it to be uh, completely entertaining, if not abhorrent. You know, I don't think I have a single moment, but I think every single time that Miami plays FSU in Coral Gables, mm. it ends up with water bottles and literally anything else you can imagine being thrown on the field. I refuse to go back to Coral Gables for that sole reason, because we all know Miami fans. And, I mean, Miami could easily find another potential quarterback just in their stands from how far (laughs) I've seen some of these water balls being thrown. Like, it's unbelievable. Oh, man. Good old Coral Gables, 45 minutes outside of the actual (laughs) campus there. Uh, Kylie, does anything come to your mind when you think of that? I mean, sure, I'll give you the Sunday school answer. It's disrespectful for fans to act that way, of course, but I, (laughs) I can't say that I didn't love it. It takes me back to a December game in 2017 for the Jags against Seattle, and a whole mess of our fans were banned from the stadium for throwing their beers at Seattle, and players were fighting, fans were fighting, and it was juicy, and I gotta say, I I love the I love the rivalry. I mean, to quote Aaron Rodgers, "How can you not be romantic about football, Luke?" <laughs> Game. Yeah, as a soccer fan, I've seen so many moments that this is just another one for me. That uh, obviously it was hilarious to watch and all that, but I've seen beer cans and and, and oh, beer yeah. bottles and and everything being thrown at players while they're celebrating near the corner line and, and soccer games. So. 
it was it was definitely hilarious to watch it in a football field because you don't get these as many uh, as often in, in the football fields but man it, it, it's just Lane Kiffin he he embodies he's everything a, he's a treasure he's a national he's treasure he's a national treasure he he used to be a villain for me and now i think he's grown into a hero of mine somehow so yeah it's it's interesting to see his his turn in that you know i we grew up in a in a in a time period a little bit after Lane Kiffin had really uh, gone through all of his, you know, he's hired by the Raiders, he's hired by Tennessee, he goes through all this stuff, he's fired on the tarmac at USC. Uh, and so for most of my time uh, learning about Lane Kiffin and, and seeing him coach, uh, he's kind of been the, this downtrodden figure, you know, holding up the robe for, for Nick Saban, holding down <laughs> the red carpet there. Uh, and so I'm I'm very happy to see him come into his own uh, and, and actually really own uh, – his personality and, and, and who he really is at Ole Miss. And it's paying off because Ole Miss is one of the best offenses in the country. They've only got one loss on the season. they got a couple quality wins in there as well. Uh, so we will see where, where Lane ends up, uh, not only this year with Ole Miss, but maybe maybe some more job opportunities open up down the line. So we, we shall see there. But, of course, you know me with baseball, the, the one moment that comes to mind with, with throwing trash on the field is the, uh, the 2012 wildcard game between the, the, the Cardinals and the Braves. Uh, they had an infield fly roll that was just objectively not an infield fly, and the Braves had to, to pause the game for another 20 minutes because fans were throwing trash on the field. But uh, all all good memories uh, of, of classy, classy fans and organizations there, I'm sure. Uh, that is going to do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk here. We're going to be back in a couple minutes uh, talking a little bit of FSU basketball, not a whole lot, uh, and then breaking down the, the, the week that was in the NFL and uh, the championship series in Major League Baseball. But I'm your Luke Hazen. We will be right back on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee. Uh, Gabe, I know we were, we were reading a little bit of the, the headlines in, in FSU sports this week, and I know you had an update on, on uh, FSU soccer and how the season's going. Pretty good, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, 14-0 will do it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Best team in the nation, number one ranked. For as long as I can remember, it, it's definitely a highlight for FSU fans uh, in, the, in the sports scene. And, you know, it, it's it's been four years of an incredible freshman class that Mark Rikorian had in, I think, 2017, 2018. And it, it's coming to an end, unfortunately, with players like Jalen Howell and Jui Zhao and Jenna Eiswanger, but I, th- they still have this year. They still have this year to avenge their loss in the national championship last year against Santa Clara. Yeah. So it's definitely, like, a lot is at stake because you don't know where the program will be in the future. But I still think FSU soccer will, will continue to dominate uh, they have some incredible players coming up. Uh, my favorite being Beata Olsen. She's a UF transfer. Mm. She's leading the team in goals in, in just her second year in or second semester. I'm sorry in college soccer, and she's she's an incredible number nine uh, that I think FSU really needed to complete the the team, which is already stacked. So, uh, yeah, they 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 just came off a two nil victory over Virginia Tech, I believe, on the road. In, in their three road game stretch, uh, almost to close out the season, and they have two more ACC opponents in UNC and Duke, which should be tests. But once again, this is just the best team in the nation. There's yeah. there's no, no beating around the bush. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely so. right. I, I, you know, you never want to take for granted eras like this with with any with any of uh, the teams that you root for, especially at, at Florida State here. But 
man, they are not only just a machine; they are a factory when it comes when it comes to FSU soccer. They just consistently, consistently uh, set the standard for Florida State sports and what they should be. And and speaking of machines, uh, FSU basketball. Little FSU basketball news: the preseason AP rankings came out. Uh, Florida State uh, for the fourth time, or sorry, for the third time in the last four years, FSU starts the season ranked. They start at number 20 in the preseason this year. Uh, they, along with North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia, are the only ACC teams. And that's really the the, the company that Florida State is keeping right now among that upper echelon of ACC teams. It's just a testament to this program that, that they're ranked up there with them now. And, Amanda, I know you, you had some thoughts about uh, FSU and what kind of this continual preseason ranking of them means for Florida State. I mean, yeah, this ranking really just solidifies, you know, how we are as a team. And this season, this upcoming season is huge for us. I'm really, I'm excited to see how Anthony Polite and Malik Osborne, they step up to the plate and lead this team after the departure of our first round draft pick, Scotty Barnes of the Raptors. But I think this team is very capable of competing this year for an ACC championship, as well as a top spot in Mar- March Madness. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how this goes. And this ranking being released today is just, you know, it's, it's hopeful, but it's um, it's exciting to see. Gets you going. It, basketball season is right around the corner. Uh, FSU, you mentioned it, trying to f- uh, fill in the, the, the spots that they lost. They were tied, I think at least tied, if not outright, uh, lost the most players to the draft this year with Raekwon Gray, Balsa Koprovica, and, uh, <laughs> and Scotty Barnes. Uh, Kyle, I knew you had some words on FSU basketball as well. Uh, well, I just wanted to say absolutely we're comparable to teams like Duke and Virginia, you know, with a 11-4 and conference record last year as opposed to a Duke 9-9 nine and nine, and just short of a Virginia 13-4. and We are right there on the brink, and I'm certainly excited for us this season, just as Amanda said. Not only uh, – Ham at this point is sending coaches into retirement. You had Roy Williams <laughs> and, and, and Coach K uh, undergoing his last season uh, at Duke there, so – Definitely a bright future for Florida State, and it gets started in less than a month now, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, Florida State gets underway as the number 20 uh, team in the nation. Uh, or Jose Alvarado. You don't have to face Jose Alvarado and George Tech. Very true. Brett, our former host, V89 alum, back there, uh, your stat boy tonight. Yeah. Make sure you correct <laughs> us on all that stuff. Uh, moving on from basketball, though. It was sort of it was a very w- weird week in the NFL. I'll say, for the first time in my in my recollection, there were so many uh, early slate games in the one o'clock window on on Sunday. You know, we talked about the Jags and Dolphins playing that nine thirty game in London, but in the one o'clock window, a lot of games decided by by double digit points. Uh, the only game that was decided be- in between uh, teams in one score game was uh, the Vikings Panthers that went to overtime. Vikings getting the win there. Uh, but Gabe, look, kind of looking around the league, what stood out to you this week uh, in, in, with teams making moves, uh, kind of positioning themselves for the towards the halfway point of the season? I mean, the, the Cowboys cementing themselves as a playoff team almost. It, it seems like that has to be the story of the week. Uh, you can talk about you know the Packers and the Bears and <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. I think you want to talk about that, Luke, in a little yeah. bit. But but I mean, the Cowboys they they have really surprised me. I didn't think that they were even going to win the NFC East. Uh, and I think part of it is, you know, the NFC East just being that bad, but also the Cowboys being that good. Five and one is not just any coincidence. And I think the Cowboys have, have gotten some pretty good wins, and, and their one loss is against the Bucks on the road. So, night, yeah. I mean, they've done everything they really can, and, and for Mike McCarthy to be 
at the helm of all this, despite his many issues with time management and, and clock and, and, and this and that. And I think he's done a pretty good job. And it'll be interesting to see if his experience with the Super Bowl with the Packers carries over at all, because this is not a very experienced team. And I know that Dak has been in the playoffs before and all that, but it'll be fun to watch him against you know the Bucks and, and the Rams and, and other teams that have been there a little bit farther. Um, but the Cowboys are just, they're a really good watch. They're a really good watch, and, and they have some ballers in defense too, which is something that I was not expecting at all. So Yeah, Tra- Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback. Yeah. It, it's an absolutely um, absurd pace that he's on right now. Seven interceptions through the first six games of the year. Uh, the Cowboys moved to 5-1 and one yesterday, and what was probably, probably the game of the week, uh, an overtime victory over the Patriots in Foxborough. That's kind of a crazy stat to throw out there that the Patriots are 0-4 to start the year at home. <laughs> all four of their losses have been uh, to the Saints, the Bucks, the Dolphins, and the Cowboys all at home. Uh, Kylie, the problem I have with, with, with Dallas is that, well, A, they have Mike McCarthy coaching them. <laughs> that that is going to rear its ugly head sometimes. I agree. So, I agree. Some somewhere down the line, his the decisions that he makes, the the fourth and one where they go to Greg Zerline to kick the game winner, uh, and he misses, and they they luck into an interception uh, afterwards to get them back in the ball game. That's uh, you know exhibit A right there. But uh, do you th- are you confident the Cowboys uh, should be uh, considered uh, among the upper echelon of teams in the NFC despite? the flaws that we've kind of seen this franchise have the last couple of years? Absolutely, Luke. Uh, I'm willing to officially say that they are actually dem boys this year. Uh, C.D. Lamb proved to be a pivotal player, especially down to the wire of that game with a 35-yard touchdown in overtime. I mean, yes, they got themselves into that nerve-wracking position because of penalties, but a win in New England for the first time since 1987 and exciting plays like Luke Gifford's punt block. I They've got my support, Luke. That's all I got to say. Yeah, abs- you know, that was a really crazy game. I think there were two touchdowns scored in you know, the, the last couple of minutes. Trayvon Diggs has the interception, and then the immediate next play is the huge touchdown to Kendrick Bourne for the Patriots. Cowboys ended up winning in overtime. Uh, Amanda, though. I want to go for for just your opinion to round out this conversation about the Cowboys and and, and how you see them uh, going further in the season. I know Dak has a calf injury now, heading into their bye week. Uh, are, are you buying into the Cowboys after uh, an impressive overtime win on the road? I mean, yeah, I agree with Kylie. I think that they rightfully deserve this number one spot in the NFC East. And I've been seeing Gregory and Diggs running the defense, as well as Lamb, who ended with nine receptions for 149 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner. I mean. It's it's clear, and with them having a bye weekend, having getting Prescott time to fully recover, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how they play against the Vikings on Halloween. But um, you know, I've I'm sticking by them as well. Yeah, I, I I just think at this point in the season, you know, we we have the burden of proof right there. The Cowboys are f- a five and one team. I think their record uh, speaks for itself there with a couple good wins. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Patriots on the road now. They should have won that game against the Bucks, turning uh, the Bucks over as many times as they did. So, And they played in the, the worst division of football. Yeah. I picked the, the football team before the season I did too. To, to, to win the NFC East, but that defense is one of the worst I've ever seen. Very disappointing there. Uh, kind of hop into the AFC real quick, though, Gabe. Uh, not a, a close game or a good game whatsoever, but a pretty startling uh, final score from Baltimore. Chargers go on the road, 
catching Baltimore on a on a short week after Baltimore played a Monday night football thriller and Baltimore absolutely runs all over them 34 to 6 the final Chargers I don't think scored no they definitely scored a touchdown they went for two and they didn't get it uh but man how great is it to just sit back and watch Lamar Jackson go to work he is one of the most fun players. To watch. And this was an off day for him. He did not. He didn't even have that that great of a game passing. It's yeah. crazy. It was it was more of a team win, if anything. I think versus the Monday night football game where he absolutely took over. It was historic almost the way that he he came he came out in the fourth quarter in the overtime uh, to save the Ravens. And and we've talked about Lamar before on the show, and and some of it has not been as positive as you would expect. And I think he's really like cemented himself as a top 10 quarterback maybe even top five in the MVP discussion but but yeah I mean the, the way that the, the Ravens came out against the Chargers was really impressive I mean we, we remember Lamar's playoff debut a couple of years ago against the same team and obviously it's not the same team in either side of the ball but for him to to come out and, and win this way against the Chargers who they were vying with the Bills for the best team in the AFC through five weeks and, and they absolutely stomped them so that was that was absolutely impressive. Probably the win of the week, maybe even of the season. Yeah, certainly a statement to be made there. Um, Kylie, I want to get your opinion on this real quick. Uh, the, the Ravens, they have a record, not a record, but they have the most players on the IR right now uh, among NFL teams. So just how impressive impressive is it that they've gotten this 5-1 and one record so far in the AFC uh, while so many of their players have been uh, injured? You know, is it is it just a testament to John Harbaugh and how he runs his team over there? I mean, honestly, I feel like Lamar Jackson has proven himself to be a clear leader amongst yeah. the team. Um, he's definitely proven himself time and time again. But, I mean, it, it simply is impressive. I mean, I know my Jaguars can't do that with uh, <laughs> that many guys on the injury reserve. But I got to say that it really also stings to see Calais Campbell celebrating over there in Baltimore. Yep. Got to miss him. Yeah, I, I just think it's a testament to Lamar Jackson and how you can pretty much at this point put anyone around him. He is going to excel. That's just the type of player he is. Um, another huge game. Not a huge, well, a huge game coming into the week that ended up being a little more lopsided, though. Uh, the Cardinals remain undefeated. They go into Cleveland. They pretty much beat Cleveland pretty easily, pretty handily, save for a Hail Mary at the end of the half by <laughs> Baker Mayfield, which he, he might have thrown his shoulder out of and injured, re-injured it a little bit later. Uh, but they get the win. They remain undefeated at 6-0, and uh, Amanda. And so I wanted to talk to you. Uh, are you still on the fence about Arizona just because of, of what we have come to know the Arizona Cardinals as? Or are you fully buying into them being the team to beat in the NFC so far this season? I mean, I think Murray proved himself this week. You know, he had 200, 229 passing yards yeah. with four intercept, or four touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah. I mean, that's that's impressive. You know, I think that was, you know, he did lead the team this week this weekend and he's proven himself that the Cardinals are you know they deserve the 6-0 and record and that they are definitely a team to watch out for this yeah. year it's just so impressive watching you know as talented a quarterback as Kyler Murray is and then you add in Gabe the weapons that he has now with diversifying a little bit they bring in Rondale Moore they bring in AJ Green they can spread the ball out with the best of them uh are, are you 
treating the Cardinals as, as your you know as the team to beat in the NFC moving forward. I remember a couple of weeks ago I came in and I said I'm not buying them. I'm not yeah. buying them as Super Bowl contenders yet, and I'm still not doing it. I'm, okay. I'm getting closer. Okay, I'm getting closer, but still I am holding out. I I need to see them when it comes to to colder weather, and I know they play in indoor stadium, but I don't know if they're they're gonna have to play always in that stadium when it comes to January and February football. So. I just I need to see Kyler be able to go through a whole season and not not get dinged up as well as this receivers because Hopkins, AJ Green, even Christian Kirk they they're all able to get hurt at any point and the defense has really st- stood out to me. I think that's that's what's really impressed me so far because we we knew about their offense coming into the season but the defense has held held up there and they're the bargain so good on them for that. Yeah, I th- I think the one thing that I'm weary of moving forward with Arizona, and really the only thing, because I think the the defense has played better than they did last year. I think the offense is more diversified this year. But Kyler Murray's health, you know, he pops up on the uh, not the the IR, but the injury report this week, nursing sort of a sore a sore shoulder. Some of the same injuries that we saw last year with this Arizona team, uh, they're going to go as far as he goes. And if he keeps putting himself in danger like he's prone to, uh, we shall see. But at least for, for now, they're on pace to have the number one seed in the NFC, so they won't have to worry about going to those cold environments. But are you worried that they're going to peak too early? Have they already even peaked? I, I don't think so. I think they're getting enough pre- impressive wins. You know, they, they start off against Tennessee. They get a good win there. They absolutely beat down the Rams in L.A., and then they go on the road against a decent Cleveland team, and they trounce them as well. Uh, and that's one one more thing I wanted to touch on with the NFL this week. Uh, Cleveland, kind of getting to the point where we start to worry about them. Baker obviously having a ton of injury issues this year. Kareem Hunt goes on the IR. Uh, just not showing up enough against big-time uh, teams. They lose a close game against the Chargers. They lost a close game against the Chiefs, and they get uh, walked around on by by the Arizona Cardinals. Are you starting to lean towards that panic button with the Cleveland Browns? Who, at least for I, I picked the Browns to go to the Super Bowl this year. I thought they were <laughs> one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. But it's clear injuries have caught up to them. Some underperforming uh, players on the defense have have not been as advertised. Are you hitting the panic button yet for the Browns? I don't think so because I never expected them to do that well. So. This is kind of a little bit less than what I expected from them. Yes, they're definitely underperforming. But by the same token, I think this is not a team that, that's going to do much when it comes to the postseason. Uh, I do think they're, assuming Baker comes back, I don't think they're dead. I don't think they're, they're right. out of the playoffs by any means. But, I mean, it, this team, it, it doesn't go as Baker goes, but I don't think you can go to the back of quarterback or, or even trade for anybody midseason and, and, and still keep the, the ship afloat. So uh, the defense simply hasn't, hasn't done much. Uh, we know about Miles Garrett, but the defense hasn't done what we expected them to do, kind of like the, the Washington football team as well. We know that the running game's there, but OBJ and the receivers, they also haven't helped out Baker enough sometimes, and I think this is what we what we, we come to expect from Baker. He has these limitations. He can't go out and win the game in the fourth quarter when, when you need him to, or, or even start out the game slinging the gun uh, like other quarterbacks like Kyler can, so it's a limited team, and this is where they're at. So they they have to react. They have to to respond to the adversity, and and we'll see how how their head coach you know manages to to get the best out of them going forward. Yeah, it's certainly tough when when the two players that your offense is kind of predicated on are both nurse and calf injuries with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. That's going to be a really interesting game this week. You have a three and three Broncos team who's reeling, losing three straight. You have a Browns team that's lost two straight. Uh, 
Is that a loser leaves town game to to be to put up a cliche for a game? Yeah, it kind of looks like <laughs> it. I mean, I don't expect either team really coming out of that game and, and feeling too good about themselves. And they're they're both in extremely competitive divisions with the Bengals, the Ravens, and then the the Chargers, the Chiefs, and even the Raiders. Yeah. So either team loses, and it's going to be really hard for them to come out. And speaking of tough divisions, I mean, Bengals, Ravens next week. That's going to be the game I'm probably going to tune into the most. Probably prospectively looking at the the next week for the NFL, one of the games, one of the pr- pr- premier games of next week. I haven't looked at the full schedule yet, but certainly up there, four and two Bengals, looking looking pretty decent. Yeah. And, you know, we they played the Lions this week, and I'm like, no, I expect the Bengals to win this game. I don't remember the last time I was I went into a game thinking like, oh no, this would be a, a bad loss if the Bengals lost. So we shall see. But moving on from the NFL as we wrap up the last seven minutes or so of the show, I am thrilled to welcome back into the booth uh, William Haynes, our, our resident MLB uh, expert here. And we talked a little bit on the show towards the end last week about uh, the Major League Baseball postseason going on, recapping the wild card games, looking at the, the divisional series that were going underway. Uh, sad times for us as, as race fans as they get bounced by Boston in four uh Shortly, I'm, I'm so glad, William, that we went off the air when we did because I think about three minutes later, Rafael Devers hit that three-run homer, and I, I audibly just let out a huge explicative that, that the mics barely missed. Uh, so we can stop talking about the Rays, though, because we have two great series going on in the NLCS and the ALCS. Uh, let me get your read first, William, of, of how the ALCS has played out for you Uh about as expected with with uh, Boston splitting the first two with uh, Houston. Boston right now they are on fire. They look impossible to slow down. It looks like you pencil them in for ten hits every night. The pitching hasn't looked as good, but you've got guys like Enrique Hernandez who is uh, you know making Randy Rosarena's postseason of last year look like a weak performance. Um, you know breaking records for the Red Sox in the playoffs set by David Ortiz. Um, they're going to be tough to slow down. I think stealing home field advantage from the Astros is key. If All they got to do is win two of three in Fenway and then maybe split those two games in Houston, and they're going on to the World Series. Yeah. It's eerily similar, the start to that series, uh, that, that that it looked for Boston like the, the ALDS. You know, Tampa beat them. Tampa Bay beat them by a little more than Houston did in game one. Houston wins a, a close game, which, by the way, Soapbox, I mentioned a couple times on the show, Carlos Correa might be my favorite player in Major League Baseball. I've been on, I've been on this dude for a number of years now. He, in a weird way, earned more respect for me going to bat for his teammates during the whole uh, sign stealing scandal. Uh, and he hits a huge go ahead home run, points at his uh, at his wrist, says it's my time in in game number one. So they win the close game there. They follow that up with a uh, clunker in game two. Boston hits two grand slams in the first two innings. Kind of ridiculous if you think about it, but they jump all over Boston, or they jump all over Houston the same way that Boston did to Tampa Bay in Game 2. And now you get, a, you know, a, a, a series that is tied and heads back to one of the greatest atmospheres in all of, all of sports, really. October baseball in Fenway, and, uh, you know, looking just looking at the pitching matchups for tonight, you get Jose Arquiti for Houston, you get Eduardo Rodriguez, who we talked about on the show last week, uh, making the start for Boston. Uh, 
who do you see getting having the advantage heading into this game three? This is going to be the last pitching advantage that Houston is going to have probably for a little while. I uh, Eduardo Rodriguez had a couple starts against the Astros, neither very good, but to be fair, he did not have a good regular season, period, but has been better as of late. Uh, uh, Jose Arquiti, one of their better starters. It gets a little bit rough. Dusty Baker said for game four, there's about four different options that they have, and uh, none of them tend to look very good. They've got a guy in Luis Garcia who pitched just a couple of days ago. So things aren't looking very good on this front. I would tell you this. If Houston does not win tonight, they are in trouble in this series because the road does not get any easier. No, it does not. And, you know, you you bring up a good point with Houston's rotation. Any of the options that they're going to go to for the the, the next couple of games, they're not Lance McCullers. Exactly. That's the difference. Losing him in that ALDS against uh, Chicago was absolutely huge. Because he was shoving for the most part. Brett, yeah, real, swooping in. Real real quick, though, I mean, the only two teams to come back down from 3-0 in an ALCS to force a Game 7 are the two teams playing in this series. Houston did it last year. Boston did it back in 4 So, yeah, I think Houston's pitching is a real problem. I have a lot of faith in Arcidi tonight. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. I want the Red Sox to lose this one. <laughs> um, wait. Lose the series? But, well, the series is 1-1. It's so that series, kind of throws out my point. Um, the series is what it's not 2-0, that's the NLCS. Um, but no, I do have a lot of faith in Arkiti. He needs to give them length tonight. And that's not me being like, oh, starting pitchers need to go deeper. Uh, but look at the, the Astros bullpen. You look at how Jake Odorizzi has kind of whined his way through this ALCS so far. Who knows what the Astros can expect out of him. Um, but with injuries and with some other things that they've had to deal with in postseason baseball, like every team does, um, yeah, they're in a lot of trouble if Rikidi can't give them at least five, but they probably need six out of them um, to, to really, and a win tonight, to, to really have a chance in this series. Yeah, and on the flip side, I, th- I think a lot of people are, are expecting Rikidi to have a, a good game. The people that are picking Houston do because of his performance against the Red Sox earlier this year, back in May. But he hasn't pitched since October 3rd, and there he's going up against a, a, a pitcher in Eduardo Rodriguez probably coming off his best outing in agree. quite a while. Or, or my my ex-FIP king, at least. I, I think Eduardo Rodriguez is a better pitcher than he gets credit for. Uh, so I, personally, William, I'm going to say Boston wins this game and probably goes on to win the series. If they win tonight, I, I would put the house on, on Boston taking the series. I, I agree. Uh, Jose Arquiti, not only does he need to win, but he needs to go deep in this game uh, because the Astros down the line, they've got Grinky, a guy who hasn't pitched, and a couple of other injured guys. This is a must-win for Houston. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the other side of the bracket now, in the NLCS, Braves play two incredible games against the Dodgers at home. Uh, shout out to Bill Plasky, bad mouthing Atlanta and and, and uh, Truist Field there. I, I thoroughly enjoy enjoy going there, despite what what LA writers will say about it. Uh, but Braves go up two nothing, two walk off wins in a row uh, against the Dodgers. I want to get your thoughts really quickly on what happened in Game 2, though. Uh, Max Scherzer goes for the Dodgers in a game that a lot of people penciled in as, as a win for the Dodgers. Like, if the Dodgers were going to win this series, you probably had to get the Scherzer games, the Bueller games. Uh, but Scherzer goes four and two-thirds. They kind of penciled, the, or they, they kind of worked their way around until you get to the eighth inning, uh, when leading four to two, they bring in potential Game 4 starter uh, Julio Urias. 20-game winner this year. They bring him in in the eighth inning, Dave Roberts does, and he promptly gives up the lead. He, uh, he gives up two runs to the Braves, and the Braves go on to walk it off in the ninth inning. So I want to get your opinion on the decision made by Dave Roberts there. 
if you're going to make an aggressive move like that, and, and they did this last year moving Arias to the pen, you've got to win that game. Uh, th there's just no excuse not to. And uh, Dave Roberts' bullpen decisions have been questioned for the last handful of seasons. Bringing Kershaw out, out of the pen in a game five a couple years ago against Washington, they didn't pay off. So he doesn't have a great track record with making those kind of moves. But in game one, they went full bullpen day, had each reliever go about an inning each. So it's, it's a bullpen that's taxed. And Max Scherzer couldn't give you length, kind of like Houston. L.A. is in a bit of a rough spot with their pitching right now. Well, rough spot in terms of... of... Their bullpen has been heavily used, and I, yeah. I would say they have not been particularly effective. Yeah, They also have Walker Buehler going in Game 3, though, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about the Dodgers... If if they don't get down three one, and, and I will I will say about the Dodgers, like they, these have been two very low scoring games. They've their bullpen and their starters have thrown a lot of scoreless innings, um, but on the offensive side of things, like they're just not scoring the runs. And the Braves, no, no. the Braves aren't hitting the crap out of the out of the Dodgers, but they are getting those those timely hits. Which I don't know, maybe that's dumb luck, maybe it's something else. Uh, yeah. um, Austin Riley, I don't know why uh, he's a great player, but he infuriates me. It just feels like he like just gets these hits in these moments. Uh, he's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he's a player that I irrationally uh, hate. I, I thought he got too much hate last season with with his struggles in the postseason to a degree. So I I really enjoyed seeing him step up to the plate after Acuna went down this season. And how about how about Guillermo Heredia? I mean, if, if, <laughs> if the Dodgers couldn't win after that, if they were just gifted that from Guillermo Heredia, former 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 Ray, by the way, um, man, this is just. I, and I know there's like a lot of hate about Dave Roberts, but like this, these are still the defending world champions. They've they had the second best record in the National League, the second best record in baseball this year. Um, they're 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 really yeah. they're a damn good team. And if they fall short to Atlanta, I don't know. It happens. Atlanta, I don't know. They have some weird magic down there. Um, I guess up there. Um, but yeah, an interesting series. But I don't think the Dodgers are out of it yet. Yeah. I, I we're, we got to wrap up the show here in just a second, <laughs> William. Uh, but I want I want to just say one more thing, closing thoughts on Dave Roberts and the Julio Urias move because I know he's going to get a ton of crap for that. Julio Urias has been pitching out of the bullpen for the Dodgers in the postseason since he was 19 years old. Like he's been doing this for a while. And Dave Roberts also made a move with Kershaw to close out of Game Five, and it paid off. Kershaw actually did it. So there's been some success there. I don't think we should be judging him based off whether it's a success or not, more so on the process. But I'll, I'll get your closing thoughts, and then we'll wrap up the show here, William. These were two huge key wins for Atlanta, and their lineup has been coming up big late in games all season. Since 2018, including postseason, the Braves are 1-10 in Dodger Stadium. They play the next three games there. They may not come away with any of those, but uh, you got the series coming back to you. They're going to need it. Quick read, who wins? Because we're not, we're not going to know until... Or we will be back on air after the World Series matchup has been decided. I would take the Braves. They're clutch on both sides of the ball right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Braves-Red Sox. We're in agreement? I think so. All right. Sounds good, William. Thank you for being on the show. Brett for contributing as well. Uh, Brett, who you got? Astros-Dodgers. Brett says Astros-Dodgers, the contrarian here. Repeat. <laughs> oh, Amanda says repeat for the Dodgers? Gabe. Dodgers. Okay. There, <laughs> there we go. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap up this edition of Tomahawk Talk. A little bit extra, but I'm, I always relish getting to talk baseball here towards the end. Uh, from myself, Luke Hazen, Gabe Tiz is my co-host, Kylie Brennan, Amanda Golson, William Haynes, Brett Rutherford, Scott, Sebastian back in the booth. Whole crew on, on hand today. It's all hands on deck, as Dave Roberts likes to say. Uh, that will do it for this edition of Tomahawk Talk. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.